This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Today on the show, we have Adams. Adams served on active duty in the United States Air Force for nearly eight years. At the time of his separation, he was a staff sergeant and a military training instructor at JBSA Lackland. He is passionate about assisting veterans with their transitions and subsequent civilian careers. Adam has built a reputation as a world-class relationship builder. He has leveraged his large, diverse, organically developed professional network to build a successful civilian career and has helped countless other veterans do the same. As a coach, he's determined to help others achieve holistic post-service fulfillment. Adam, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Describe what your family looks like now and any gaps in that intro. Okay. Well, um, so I, I live in uh, southeastern Wisconsin, Greendale, Wisconsin, right down the road from you, actually. Not, not uh, too far from you. There's not too many people that live in Wisconsin that are doing big yeah. <laughs> This time of year, I can see why. You know, it's the, the, the weather. Especially after this seen. winter, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's been brutal. Um, but my family, um, I, I live with my wife, Kate, um, my two stepchildren, Chloe and Calla, and our son, Phineas. Uh, Chloe is 12, Kala is nine, and Finn is two. And we have a, a geriatric dog uh, named Buck, who is, uh, he's hanging in there. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what my family looks like. Did you have a family while you were serving, or did it start coming to shape after you got out? I did. So I was married and had my stepkids. That, that was our family unit while I was still in the service. And then my wife and I had Finn uh, after I had separated. When you hear the words come home, what do those mean to you? Man, they, they, have, they have significant weight to me personally because I had, uh, when I was at my last duty station, when I was in the process of getting out of the military, I was stationed at, at like you said, at, at Lackland Air Force Base, uh, teaching down at basic training there uh, in San Antonio. And my family, Kate and the girls, were in the St. Louis area um, just by unfortunate circumstances we weren't able to be in the same place at the same time so for me getting out of the military didn't just mean you know transitioning from the military world to the civilian workforce to the civilian world um it meant for me leaving the military going to the st louis area and being with my family finally you know i'd been married for two years before i was able to live in the same place with my wife and my stepkids and so there was a big gap that you were coming home and crossing 
Right. And, and it was, and it was, you know, it was a huge uh, adjustment period, you know, and it was all very positive things because we worked so hard for so long, you know, to get to be in the same place, you know, and, and, you know, after that happened, you know, trying not to, to put it all in perspective and try to, to not take any of it for granted, you know, was, was, has been really important to us. What are some things that you did during those that time away that allowed you to stay connected and get through it? Man, I don't know how people did long distance anything before Skype or FaceTime. I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Really emotional letters. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but, but I did the handwritten thing too. I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of handwritten letters. You know, I would send, I would send gifts to the girls all the time, not, you know, to, to, to buy their affection, but just to, you know, little things to let them know that I was thinking about them. Um, and, and same with Kate, you know, send letters or little trinkets here and there, but then make sure to, to FaceTime regularly. And, and you, you gotta be creative after a while, especially if you're in a long distance relationship, you know, you gotta figure out how to play Scrabble with somebody online, you know, or two word puzzles or something. I don't know, you know, and, and to, to make sure that you can thoroughly catch up about somebody's day, you know, you don't get in a trap of just being on FaceTime and then there's existing there, if that makes sense. Is there a particular thing you struggled the most with? It was hard for me just not, not being present. And especially if there were things going on, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a physical touch person. If, if you're familiar with the love languages, oh, yeah. that book. Yeah. So, so for me, if like somebody's having a rough day, you know, if Kate was having a rough day, I want to console her by giving her a hug, you know, uh, or, or same with the girls like, but I wasn't able to do that. So it was really challenging for me. Kate's a words of affirmation person. So, so she can be just fine, you know, yeah. you know, can consoling somebody or supporting somebody or showing that she cares about somebody, you know, using words. But for me, it was, it was more of a challenge. So being in the same place was definitely, um, definitely made it easier for me to be able to, to express how I cared about my family. We talk about a lot on the show that families in whether deployed or in this, your case is similar, they learn to live without you. They create systems that don't require you to be there. You have an emotional connection you work on maintaining, but for the day-to-day living the life, they learn to live without you. What was that like for you to come home and integrate into a life that didn't always require you? Right. And, and really a, a life that had been, you know, humming, firing on all cylinders, you know, Kate's, Kate's a great mom and she's very organized and, and methodical. And, you know, so they have, they had systems, in place for, for everything that they had. And they had routines for everything. And it took a lot of flexibility on Kate's part to, um, to kind of accommodate what having me in the house brought to the table um, from a flexibility standpoint or a routine standpoint, you know, I kind of, kind of just went in there like an atomic bomb. And I tried, <laughs> tried not to, you know, uh, change their life too much by being there. Um, but yeah, we definitely had to, to figure out some adapted systems and, and some adapted routines. Uh, but it didn't take long for us to figure it out. And then it's just, you know, felt, felt, felt like home felt natural for everybody. Did you struggle with ego after your transition with ego? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I think everybody does in a way, you know, cause, uh, you go, I went, I was a military training instructor, so I, I had, you know, direct report responsibilities. It was, you know, anywhere from 150 to like 400 or 500 people at any one given time that, you know, were 
relying on me that were that I was responsible for that I gave direction to that that wouldn't you know move an inch if I didn't tell them to you know so and feeling like I was part of this huge machine that was pumping out this new generation of airmen and you know I, I felt like I was really making a difference and an impact to go from a large scale like that to entering a civilian workforce where I was you know underemployed at first a lot of people are you know working long hours not getting paid as much as I was when I left the military it happens to so many veterans um you know feeling important and not really important from an ego standpoint but just feeling valued um you know I had that value at home obviously I knew that you know my family cared about me and they appreciated what I was doing for them and they appreciated that I was there um but just kind of like the whole like global impact wasn't there so it was kind of a gut punch and I think I think underemployment and I think feeling part of something bigger is a huge contributor to, you know, transitioning veterans or veteran transition or depression and even suicide, you know, like a loss of a sense of purpose, I think uh, has a lot to do with that. Did you struggle to open up and talk about that when you first got home? Because I think what you hit on there is a big nerve that I believe when I started this podcast, I focused that 22 veterans killed themselves. That's the number of mm-hmm. people know, but my focus is on one, the military veteran dad and going a mile deep with that person. Right. And so much of what we come home to as a dad becomes an echo chamber in our head that then becomes so loud that it's the only voice we hear. And it tells us that our family would be better without us because we don't feel as impactful. We feel just deflated and mm-hmm. we don't even know who we are in many cases. Right. It's it's hard to explain to people that haven't been in the military what what an upheaval that transition is. And I think a lot of people um they view veteran suicide as uh as a post traumatic stress issue exclusively and it's not, you know. Um obviously that's a contributor, P- PTSD, uh TBIs. I mean those things have been linked to depression and linked to veteran suicide obviously, but um I think there's a bigger picture I mean, you're talking about, you know, a large amount of your personal identity being tied up in, it's not an occupation, it's a lifestyle. It is a, it is a life, you know. And most you, of us didn't have an identity. I didn't have an identity even before going in. So it becomes right. your identity. Mm-hmm. It really does. And then so that sense of identity and sense of belonging and support system and all that stuff and, and, and sense of, like I said earlier, global impact. I mean, that's, that is a huge shift that a lot of people have, they are uncomfortable talking about, and a lot of people don't see coming. They, they, they're not told about that in their, yeah. in, their, uh, in their TAPS class, their Congressionally Mandated Transition Assistance course. They're not told that that's not part of their counseling. They're know? told about how to be good civilians, but they're not really told how to, be, how to, to know who they are to be themselves. Right. Well, most of them aren't even told how to be how to be good civilians. My goodness, they just, they're PowerPointed to death. And, you know, uh, boy, if I, I could do a whole show on, on the, the amount of advice that I got for my TAPS class, that was nonsense. The but, only good advice that I remember was when you get an interview, you go buy a suit. So I went into men's warehouse, bought a $400 suit. There you go. I, was, I was lucky enough. I was only employed for, for two weeks. And oh, nice. I got the first job interview I went to, I got, and, uh, but so much of that, process can get lost if you're not determined or if you're not in the right environment or mindset when you get out and maybe you I was by myself so I didn't have family so all I had to do was worry about myself but you have a family that's going through this transition mm. that feeling of being alone I believe is probably even exacerbated because you have a family to take care of mm-hmm. there was a quote that I heard in a book um 
that from, from the Reverend Billy Graham that he said, I've talked, and this quote kind of helped me connect and shift the purpose in the last few years, mm-hmm. that he talked to stadiums of 60,000 people. And he would have had a greater impact on the world if he spent that time with his kids. And so wow. something about that allowed me to shift. It was like, you can do a lot of amazing things and you can try to make as many dents in the universe as you can, but the really the only good dent that's going to last is the one with your kids and how wow, you, that's a great quote. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And that kind of shifts from the perspective of you are in charge of, you are making a dent in the United States as far as serving. Mm-hmm. But in reality, your legacy is of your service is your service, but your legacy is your family as you live on. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. made, that was a critical switch for me to step into my role as a father that mm-hmm. this is the next legacy for me and it's my responsibility to recognize the role I play in my kid's life to make them successful adults. Right so many dads don't really even connect or figure it out until it's too late. Or I've heard stories where dads don't wake up until it's, their kids are 18 and they figure out that all their kid wanted was their time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I heard a story of a general that didn't connect with his son until he joined the military himself. Oh boy. Yeah. And and, and that time doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to go to six flags. You don't have to go on a vacation. They just want you to be next to them and present, you know, watch TV with them, go for a walk with them, go to the mall with them. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, anything special. And I think a lot of, a lot of dads have, have uh have a complex with wanting these these occasions to be like momentous that they spend with their kids it's like no just chill out and hang out with them you know they 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 want that more than anything so that leads us in our next question so every episode we go through time bombs that kids spell love t-i-m-e what are some of those memorable things that you've done with your kids that are simplistic easy in nature and they they remember years later right right well so both both uh both the girls are, are quality time kids you know so I could and and especially Chloe the older one I mean I could I could sit next to her and watch the grass grow and that would make her feel fulfilled you know um and and it really is those those simple things Chloe loves video games and that's something that we can do together that that she really enjoys and uh Cal is is more she's into you know kind of kinesthetic stuff hands-on you know dolls and Legos and you know dress up and dancing and that stuff. And, um, you know, just not being shy about like, dude, I play dress up. Like I'm, I'm totally down with that. You know, whatever, whatever she wants to do is, is what I do. And, um, and then with Finn, I mean, he's two, I just, you know, tell him how much I love him as often as possible. But, uh, I think the bigger events that they really enjoyed were, um, the Renaissance fair, you know, the one in Bristol. Yep. I went to that when I was dating my wife. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's a blast, you know, and, and it's not something where you have to spend a thousand dollars. I mean, you just go and, uh, try to, try to, you know, not get burned alive. It was too hot out, but you know, cause there's not a ton of shade, but, uh, that's been really memorable for our family. Uh, road trips, we take a lot of road trips cause the flying is too expensive with five people. And, um, you know, those are always enjoyable and yeah, hey, we're, we're pretty simple. We did a road trip around Lake Michigan last summer and we just spent six days moving, we probably only drove like two hours a day because of all the breaks and just activities we were trying right. to do. And right, right. we found there's a air zoo in Kalamazoo, Michigan Which, if you've never been there, it's amazingly affordable. It's like we came out of there with uh souvenirs for like 40 bucks. A what zoo? Air zoo. 
So it's just a bunch of airplanes. They have an SR-71 Blackbird, a bunch of war type airplanes. They have inter- they have rides on the inside of the building, like oh, really cool. good kids' rides that are all included. And the kids had a blast. Like that's what they remember about that trip. And but it I, water parks another good one, that, especially in Wisconsin, because we have so many water parks that you think, oh my gosh, we got to go through these big giant water parks. Mm-hmm. They're just happy with the pool. Like there's a place off yeah, off yeah. of Madison that has a pirate ship, and we went there for like three years, and that's all they really cared about. They just it's parents live it up in our head, but in reality, kids just want our time, and it's a simple mm-hmm. thing to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I think Chloe is a good example. Uh, our oldest, um, I could sit down and play the regular Nintendo with her, eight bit, you know, from the '80s. And she would just have a blast, you know. Um, I don't need to buy her a brand new, you know, Xbox One or whatever. I think so So often parents feel pressure to, to throw money at things. You know, let's go on an expensive vacation. Let's buy him a new bike. Let's buy him a, a new uh, gaming system or let's get him this, that, or the other. Um, but at the end of the I mean, they'll be excited that you're doing those things. But at the end of the day, what they want is a quality connection with you you know, which you can get through an 8-bit Nintendo or a, or a Nintendo Switch or whatever, or anything in between. Um, I, I, go ahead. This past Christmas, you brought up gifts. I've been really challenging the, or I've been asking questions sometimes when I say I enjoy something. I'm, I often ask, how has that memory served me? And I've been thinking about and taking the ideas of, of gifts for kids and all this stuff that we teach them, like that's teaching them to tie their happiness to things that they receive. And if you think about adults who just continually keep up with the Joneses by buying crap that no one needs, mm-hmm. like that memory doesn't service. So teaching our kids that by gifts are the only way you can tire to happiness and getting those toys at the store, I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I'm definitely being aware of crafting memories to tie their happiness to different things than things. Mm-hmm. Because that just makes you in debt, that makes you just have life struggles, that makes you have garage sales that you don't want and sell for <laughs> 80% less than what you paid for. Yeah, yeah. And those memories just in general don't service. Like no one's going to remember those random things that you had to buy when you were kids. And mm-hmm. any parent today in, that's a millennial has a basement full of crap. And it's just, we got more toys than we want to do with because birthdays, all we do is accumulate toys and they love it in the moment. But that me- those memories aren't going to serve our, our kids and as adults. And so I've been really trying to f- figure out, I got time. I can't, my oldest is still sick, so I got time to course correct, but I've been trying to switch more to like the experiences type. Oh, absolutely. Knowledge. We made that shift a few years ago. We noticed that the kids were getting, you know, they've got so many people in their, in their circle. They've got their friends, their grandparents, their, their step parents. So they got, you know, they got two families worth of grandparents and cousins and, you know, come Christmas and their birthdays, they're getting just so many gifts. It's incredible how many gifts they're getting to the point where like they'll unbox something and they won't ever touch it again. And they'll forget that they even got it. Or sometimes they won't even unbox it. And, and to us, we started seeing these things accumulate and they, they're so excited when they open the present and then it just disappears, you know, that, that we're like, we don't need any more stuff. They have a lifetime worth of toys they can play with. Um, so we started trying to focus more on experiential gifts, like you said, um, you know, going to conventions, going to shows, going out to dinner, going on a road trip, you know, vacation, stuff like that. Um, that's where that's where we're trying to focus our our, our gift giving and our gift receiving on because those are the things that we're going to remember. 
Mm-hmm. And I, as general, I think the society will eventually reach a tipping point where we go to more of a minimalist society. At some point, it's mm-hmm. going to happen. It's got to happen. We can't. I think we're reaching the pinnacle of how far we can go. Yeah, pendulum's got to swing in, in the other direction eventually. Yeah. So I think preparing them now for the, to to really just be happy in a different way. Like right. I often hear, like when people go to India, the one thing they often quote is, "People are just lavishly in poverty. Poverty everywhere. Everybody's got to smile." Because they've learned how to be happy in a different way. Mm-hmm. Something we really are not good at in Americans because we attach it almost to the entire capitalistic idea of things and what we need and want. And it just makes us miserable people, which overall, a lot of people are miserable in the United States. And I can only fathom that a portion of it is connected to things. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, if, if, things, if things were uh, like amount of things accumulated correlated with happiness, um, we would be a lot happier as a country and, and people in Hollywood wouldn't get divorced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and funnily enough, we have more stuff and more technology and more, uh, you know, amount of things and bigger things and more expensive things. And, you know, huge expensive cars, cars are 50, $60,000 new now. And people are carrying over more auto debt from, from one financing situation to the next than they ever have by, by, by 100% more than, than the year before. And so everybody has all these things uh, and they're spending money they don't have to get them, but they have stuff and they're unhappy. And they're, they're, the commercial tells them, you know, you get the newest phone, you know, people don't buy phones anymore. They get them on payment plans so they can get the, the new phone the next year and mm-hmm. go on that payment plan. And they're not any happier when they get the new phone. Yeah, yep. sorry. That's a despite random... despite uh, Apple's advertising. Yeah, I mean, none of that stuff puts a smile on anyone's face. Yeah, so those are all good things that to be aware as we prepare our kids not to be good kids, mm-hmm. but to be good adults. Which is in the back of my mind, I'm always preparing them and thinking about like trying to coach them through something to recognize how this is going to serve them later, or just to be more aware of what's going on around them versus the autopilot of what they hear, see, and understand mm-hmm. what do you want your kids to remember you when you're 30 when you're talking to a when they're at a bar talking to their friends what would you wish them to say about their dad that i was kind you know that i that i led by example in how i treated them and my wife and people in the community whether it be you know quote unquote, important people or, you know, person working at the gas station or a homeless person, you know, that I led by example in being kind and, and, and patient and understanding and not judgmental or, or, you know, crappy with people and using my pleases and thank yous, you know, to people, not at a fancy restaurant, but at McDonald's, you know, um, that's, that's what I want them to, to, to really re- retain from, from knowing me. You know, and I'm not perfect. I'm not like always nice and always patient. I try really hard to be, you know, there's, there are so many parents that are like, Hey, be nice, be polite. And then they'll just talk down to their, their waiter or waitress and, you know, do, do that action. And it's like, we gotta, we gotta lead by, we gotta lead by our actions. Our words are so worthless compared to our, our deeds, you know? Um, so that's what I wanted to say that I was nice. Is that something you grew into? Like, was there an Adam that wasn't that way and you kind of woke up one day and said, I need to be better? Or was it kind of just a part of you from your own parents? Yeah, my, my parents were both very nice. Um, I, I wasn't always. I mean, when I was a teenager, 
you know, anyone that knows me will say that I just kind of, well, I was a punk, you know, and that came from me being very, uh, self-centered, which a lot of teenagers are, yep. um, self-centered and self-important and egotistical and, um, inflated and, and all these things. And, and I, that came from an insecurity that is typical of teenagers. Um, but it manifested in me in trying to look cool or funny at, at whatever cost, which often manifested in me being unkind to people or talk down to people. Um, which, I mean, there are a couple conversations that, that I had with people or things that I said to like a waiter or a waitress when I was in high school or college that I literally still lose sleep about today, you know? That you still have forgiven yourself? Yeah, just looking back on it, like how on earth I could have said that to that person in that moment trying to look cool is absolutely astonishing to me. So um, I think we all, we all go through a phase of self, you know, over self-importance and a phase where we're not, our best people, you know, as we're figuring ourselves out, it just took me a little bit longer to grow out of it. And I think joining the military had a lot to do with that. I think I needed the military um, and I joined at the right time. Um, and it kind of, kind of forced me to, to take that last step in, in growing up. Um, and I th- I'd like to think I got over it. You know, um, I, like I said, I'm not perfect, but you know, Even I try just leading with the awareness I think is, mm-hmm. uh, light years around people that maybe haven't even recognized the autopilot that they have on their life. Or I'll never forget this moment. There was a guy at work yelling at his wife on the phone and they were both, it was about laundry. So nothing even serious. Like Mm -hmm. he had what we call laundry gate and (laughs) it was always this topic. And I couldn't help but think that when he was, when when she was yelling back and when he was yelling to her, she was just reflecting back his crappy attitude. So, Mm -hmm. Part of like uh, a methodology that I have is that the universe reflects back whatever you put into it. It's like a mirror. You put out kindness, people reflect it back. And so much, even if, in almost every relationship, there's some portion where it's equal parts. But whatever comes back, to, whether it be your wife, your kids, some portion of that is what you reflected towards them. And they're just reflecting it back. Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of idea that you just, you have, but you have to be aware of that. If you're not aware of that, your reflection matters. And like um, it's even just like kind of karma that whatever you put out will come back either through the relationships around you. Maybe it's a toxic relationship, but generally it's because you're putting something toxic towards it first and it's not going to change. Your reflection is not going to change until you start doing that inner work to recognize what you do want to project in the universe with those questions of like, what do you want your kids to say about you? Right. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, I, in, in my estimate, a huge issue with, people nowadays is a lack of objective self-reflection you know nobody nobody truly and some people say they do and they just don't you know nobody truly looks in the mirror and and says like what am I doing to make the world better what am I doing to make my family better did I handle that situation correctly am I acting inappropriately maybe I didn't handle that right like no few people have the ability to self-reflect without, you know, damaging their own ego, you know, so, so they project and, and, you know, in, in efforts subconsciously to protect their own ego, they, they project and it's, it's a, it's a your fault culture. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think one of my superpowers is the ability to say that was my fault. My bad. I like that. I always use that word. What are your superpowers? Cause it's a nice way to 
because people don't often think about what they're good at, but superpowers kind of has that like interesting yeah, right. of people yeah. to dive into. Oh yeah, I'm good at this. Yeah, uh, I have the superpower of objective self-reflection. Um, to to a fault, really. I'm I'm my I'm my toughest uh, my toughest critic. Oh yeah, you and me would get along perfectly in the same room. <laughs> yeah, man. My wife's always telling me I'm the hardest on myself, and I'm very intellectual of always thinking through my head, overthinking everything. Mm -hmm. Luckily, it wasn't for this podcast. I, I, I was able to walk through that fear, but <laughs> I spent two years in my own head on what to do with my life or what to do when I grew up, and I'm 34 and still asking that question. I'm I think you hit, well. yeah. <laughs> I, you hit another nail with, I think, the ego part that recently I've, I've, I've dove into the idea of ego that ego is almost like a defense mechanism of our brain to protect us from the place we don't want people to see. Absolutely. So yep. I've been using that as kind of like uh, an indicator of potentially where inner work needs to happen. Like if you know you turn on your ego in this one particular place, that's generally a defense mechanism in your brain just to protect yourself from being hurt. And a lot of times people connect it with like completely bad and you just need to turn it off. But I think if anything, it's like a good flashlight. It helps you turn towards the right areas because a lot mm -hmm. of people can get Maybe they're hearing this message and they're like, well, that's all good, but how the hell do I figure out how to start? Ego and where you think your ego is the strongest is a good place to start on where that inner work needs to happen because you're generally trying to hide something. There. Yeah, and where, where yeah, if, you, if you're having a problem with self-reflection, just ask yourself, what things in the world or in your relationships have you been most critical of? Um, because that, more often than not, is a projection of something about, about you that bothers you um yeah when that, something that bothers you, you it means more about you than it does them absolutely yeah as a dad what was your scariest moment you know it, it's strange i haven't had that like kid fell out of a tree and broke their leg moment or, or anything like that i did have I a either, knock on wood <laughs> yeah it's gonna happen it's, at some point something crazy is gonna happen and you know it, it just happens with every kid and hope everybody gets through you know, safely and with not too much harm and whatnot. But uh, we did have a scare with Finn when he was young that, you know, as you know, he was born on his due date. You know, I'm, I'm early for everything. My, my wife is late for everything. So he just met us right in the middle, right on time. Um, and he, he had a hole in his heart. A lot of, a, that happens to a lot of kids. And then it just ends up, it closes up as they grow and it's fine. Like, no, I can't even remember what it's called. Um, but it's just, it's super duper common, but it's nonetheless scary because if it doesn't close up, it can lead to some complications. So, so that just like having this joyous thing, uh, obviously bringing, you know, my son home and, and whatnot was kind of overshadowed by this, this anxiety and stress. Did you, know, you get to bring him home right away? Yeah, we did. Yep. And they didn't, they didn't notice the hole until his first checkup after bringing him home. Um, and he was doing the, the stethoscope thingy. Um, and then, you know, he got some very expensive tests done. And he was, you know, he was fine and we moved on. But I think I, I have creeping irrational anxiety at all times about all three kids. It's because your heart's beating outside your body. Yeah, dude, I mean, it's... And running around the room banging against things. <laughs> it is, man. And it's it's tough. Like, I didn't want... I didn't want Finn to swim in a lake because I was scared that a giant catfish would grab him by the leg and, and swim off with him. Like, 
that sort of irrational fear. Like I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm protective of the people that I love and I ended up getting over it and he swam and he was fine and you know, no catfish. So, uh, but, but anxiety about things that could go wrong at any given situation, um, kind of haunt, I think every parent. And, and I, I think the goal is to not let them become all encompassing, you know, and I think a little bit of fear is natural. You know, it is your, it's your, your, your inborn mechanisms that help you to protect yourself and the people that you love. But, you know, it's important to understand that like, okay, Wisconsin doesn't have lakes with hundred pound catfish or any sort of fish that's going to grab a 30 pound kid by the leg and drag him under the, it's just not going to happen, you know? So, so trying to be rational. Um, and you can worry about all those crazy things, but just a few weeks ago, my wife got a call from daycare that, my daughter tripped over her own shoes and smashed her head against the corner of a bookshelf. Like, Oh no, you can stress about all the big things you want in life. And somehow it's still going to be, she's tripping over her own shoes, running into a bookshelf and she had to get some liquid stitches put on her forehead. Oh, right. I mean, and you could, I could protect Phineas from catfish his whole life. Uh, but he's still going to do something like, you know, break a string on his little plastic ukulele that snaps him in the face and gives him a huge welt, like, which happened a couple weeks ago you know you can't protect them from everything what about how do you have you dealt with helping your kids walk through fear and making sure that they learn to fail but not like you're not overprotecting them oh yeah yeah it's it's i i i connect it with um with building a puzzle have you ever have you ever tried to do a puzzle with a two or a three-year-old no it's, it's infuriating. Um, but they're, they're not going to have any more fun by you helping them place those things. And they're not going to learn anything by having you, you know. So at the end of the day, it, it really is the journey and not the destination because he doesn't care. Nobody should care if he finishes that puzzle. You know, no, that's not important. What's important is his, him using his hand-eye coordination and his, you know, powers of deduction to, to – to fit the pieces together. And it's the hardest thing to do, especially for people that are, you know, more strategic, more, uh, more particular about things, but just sitting back and instead of saying like, okay, well you just twist it this way and, and, and helping him to put the puzzle piece in saying like, well, have you considered doing it this way, you know, or, you know, to a two year old, try spinning it, you know, and not even touching it, but letting them figure it out. Um, it's hard to do. It's challenging. And that translates to bigger things. But I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of saying like, here's the information, do this thing, and then letting them fail. Absolutely. I remember playing, first when my daughter was starting to play board games, she was going through the classic of losing, like struggle. And she still remembers it to this day. She often forgets it, but I remind her that in life, it's more important to try hard than to win. And mm-hmm. making sure that you always tried the hardest, that's how you need to measure success. And it was, comes from also, I've heard it, uh, a Navy SEAL describe it with the growth mindset that when you reward the result, when they level up, they instantly almost just collapse because they no longer know how to, to deal with the secondary nature of not being the top. But if you always rewarded the effort, mm-hmm. they, they always understand how good they are versus maybe not being good enough, which is a common thread in a lot of uh, veterans in general, or even dads overall, just that feeling of not being good enough, not trying hard enough, not getting there. My daughter's trying to do gymnastics and it's like fair terrifying. You might as well be t- 
teaching her to jump off cliffs. Like she, we've gone three times and we've just sat there because she's just terrified of Mm. not being good enough with the other kids there. And I'm working on trying to get her to go through. I don't know whether we'll be successful. We might have to pull the cord here, but that is still so important. Like it's a living example that there's so much that scares them. And these are the little things where it's easy. No one's going to die. No one's going to get pregnant. No one's going to have a kid over it. But I had a podcast, Tony uh, Buchanan, earlier, I think episode, three episodes ago, his son just had a child at age 21, and he didn't necessarily always prepare his son for failure. And walking through that with him now is a little bit more challenging because he doesn't have the confidence of who he is. Right. Yeah, I think it's, it starts with, with simple, it always starts with your words, you know, like saying good effort instead of good job. You know, I, I, it's so ingrained, like, oh, good job. And just throwing it out, you know, kind of offhandedly. I, I try really hard to not do that as much. I mean, we're, it's. Yeah. Even thinking football, I never played football, but I can often hear in my head, good job, good job, good job. And yeah. rarely in football do they ever like say good effort, good effort. They don't really care about yeah. the effort. They yeah. care about the win. Well, they only that, say good effort if you fail. True. You know, like, oh, nice try, nice effort, you know. Uh, you know, to, almost as a consolation prize, you know, which Versus is that primary objective. Right. Exactly. Yep. Getting your team to, to try their hardest and achieve whatever they achieve, but making sure they just all gave their best. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to a dad looking to come home to their marriage? Come home from the service? Anything, whatever you feel that those words resonate the most with, whatever either coming home from the service, maybe there, maybe he's been out for five, 10 years and his marriage is still struggling. Maybe he's paying back the debt of mm. being away and deployed and mm. trying to not lose her in some cases. Mm. I know a lot mm. of that can go through where you're fearful of losing the person you spent your life building your life with. Mm. Communicate. And I know it sounds really simple to say that, and I'm not really good at it, and communicate in, in two ways. One, don't be afraid to say what's really on your mind and really on your heart and really what you're struggling with at that moment and what your challenges are, um, because that's really the only way that you can heal and you can fix things or you can get, you know, get the help that you need to address the issues that you have is by communicating and communicating to, to your, your spouse, maybe things that, that you think aren't really fulfilling you, you know? Um, but then on the other, on the flip side for communication, knowing when to just, to just shut up and listen. And that I, I have a hard time with it. Men have a hard time with that. It's the, you know, a men are from Mars thing, you know, we want to fix. So when issues come and are presented, we want to, you know, spring into action and well, here's what you should do and blah, blah, blah. But, but man, just, and I'm not, I'm not the best at this. This is something I'm working on, but like being able to just zip it because sometimes just the act of, of, you know, saying what's on her mind is enough to, to, to get her covered. Like she's good to go. Does she stay at home with the kids or does she work? Oh, does I was speaking in generalities, but yeah, she does. She does. She does stay home. So in your case, sometimes just listening for adult conversation, like she just wants the adult to listen. Yeah, and 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 the first thing I do when I get home is I grab I grab the kids, you know, I grab Ben and hang out with the kids and whatnot because she's she's home all day with a two year old, which is not that is not an easy job. And there are people that have never been a stay at home parent 
that look down on it and they don't know. They have no idea. It is a hard job and it's an important job, you know? One of the roads that I hope this podcast leads to is eventually where I can be a stay-at-home dad with this podcast. And right on. Um, I want to have four kids and hopefully this podcast allows us to shift our life so it's not so crazy and allow it to happen. Yeah. And it's going to be scary. And I'm sure I will hear everything in the, in the book about what will I, I'm like, God, this is really hard. But at the same time, I reflect and know that in my heart it's right because I think when I'm 50, I'll never look back and say that was the worst four years I ever spent. Like I know it on my deathbed, looking back, I won't, man, I just wish I wasn't home, let's say I wasn't home with my kids and I was versed at a job with for eight hours of people I didn't really care about. So I know it's going to be right. I know it's going to be probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, second to the military probably, maybe even harder. And, but I know that looking back, that will be an investment of my time, probably for the, one of the first times where I truly entered the world where I wanted to be in that moment yeah. to, to be that impactful dad that just is there with their kids when they get out the bus and they mm-hmm. put them on the bus. Yeah. You're not going to regret that. And you know, there will be, it's non-traditional, you know, versus working eight to 10 hours a day for somebody you don't care about to, to make ends meet quote unquote, or to put, to put, you know, dollars in your bank account, you know, this is a different way to go about it. So you're going to face, you're going to face, uh, you know, a, an onslaught of well-intentioned naysayers, you know, the, the people that say, Oh, you shouldn't do that. You should get a real it's job. Gonna, mostly it's going to come even from the people I care about me the most, like my parents, because most Absolutely. parents want to keep their kids safe. Then what parents want for their kids is actually what's going to keep them mediocre. Right. And, and, but they think that that is what's going to keep you safe. And I think that, like I said, it's the well-intentioned naysayers. It's the people that think that they are talking to you in your best interest when really what they're doing is stifling your, your creativity and stifling your ambition. And that, I mean, anybody can be successful if they're doing what they're, they should be doing, what they should be passionate about. And you can monetize anything. You can put food on the table in any way if you're good at something, you know? And I think, so few, uh, so few people are really just encouraged to do what's in their heart if it's if it's a non-traditional path, and and I'm a huge fan of of you know blazing your own trail and and you know don't don't worry about it. you you put food on the table you know if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing you put food on the table yeah the the and putting out just putting out you and being authentically you generally will bring yeah. back and yeah, on the worst days. I, there was a story that I'll always remember that Tony Robbins gave. I don't remember where I gave it or heard it, but he said the last day he was broke, he was at McDonald's, I think, or some fast food. And there was a person that didn't have money to buy food. And he used his last $20 that he ever had, like his bone dry. He had no idea where his money was going to come from, but he gave it away to this family. Like the next day, a thousand dollar opportunity came into his life. And that was the last day he was ever broke. Mm, karma, man. And so it, you, you, you just have to trust the process, trust that, that there is a, a way that the universe does work out, but you really have to be confident in who you are. If you go out into the world where you don't know who you are, that's where it's going to be, but where you're yeah. going to end up getting burned. Yeah. What, oh, what's, a, what's a resource or a book you would recommend to other military veteran dads? Five Love Languages. And have you ever read the military edition? I just, I read the no. first the normal one uh, when I first heard of it and then, when I, I, podcast, I picked up the military edition. It's not too different, but if you are military, the military version is a little bit uh, geared towards like military stories of. Right on. 
there's a five love languages of kids too. Um, and for the people that don't know what that is, it, the, the, the premise is basically, you know, uh, there are five love languages and that's the way that you communicate to express love and the way that you best receive, you know, communications of love. So, uh, it, it's either, uh, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, gifts, or acts of service. So if I'm an acts of service guy, I'm going to express love to my spouse by cleaning her car, by taking care of things on her to-do list. And then conversely, that's how I receive love. Uh, you know, so that'll fill up my love tank is receiving acts of service, somebody cleaning my car or taking things, care of things on my to-do list. Um, but if you have, if you and your spouse speak different love languages, you have to be able to express to them in the way that they receive love. You know, like I'm physical touch, my wife is words of affirmation. So me giving her a hug is me speaking in my love language but it's not going to be as effective for her as a words of affirmation thing. Like you did a great job today. Um, mm -hmm. So just being aware of how people can best receive love to fill their love tank. And I know it sounds corny, but it is like no joke, a completely and utterly legit thing that everybody needs to be aware of. I've heard it best described with people like it's like cheating the system. Like people are so dumbfounded that, <laughs> yeah. that it works and it's, it's, and the, the trick part is we all give love in the language we generally want to receive it as our default. So once you realize there's five others, that's when you have to consciously shift to give differently than how you received it. And it's not easy. It's not easy. And I mean, I have to be very conscious of my words because ways that I would maybe be, you know, flipping or offhanded with my words to like a friend or something, you know, my wife being words of affirmation, that can be really hurtful to her. You know, so that's something I have to be aware of. And obviously it's a constant, constant work. You know, that's what you, know, you have to feed into your relationship and, and research for your relationship and, and constantly, you know, ensure you're doing the right things to keep it, to keep it going strong. What's a parting piece of advice you would leave for other military veteran dads? Oh boy. Um, hmm. Parting piece of advice. We covered a lot of stuff. We did in, cover a lot of stuff. Communicating. Now you got to shortcut it that. down to one piece. <laughs> um, I think focusing on your communication, I, I think that's the key. And yeah, the five love languages can fit into that. So communicating with your kids uh, in an open and honest fashion, communicating with your spouse in an open and honest fashion, not just about what's what they're doing, but what you're doing and what you need and doing it objectively and then being able to receive communications effectively. I mean, there's just so many problems in our world that could be solved through effective communication. Yeah, it, but it's in and itself that one communication is is an onion that's like 150 layers deep. Mm. Being continually being a uh, an art of communication and being a student of it is something that you should never say you've mastered it because communication yeah. is different for so many different people, cultures even, and but just constantly being aware of your words and even your subtle your your non communication of your actions that those two, your words and your actions are the only thing you have control over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's good advice too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Adam, this interview has been absolutely amazing. We did touch a lot of random different areas, but I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I, I'm positive. We brought a few dads home with this episode. Good, good. Uh, we'll be uh, connecting more. And I look forward to a future collaboration with you, Adam, in the future being so yeah. close. It's too close for us not to be closer friends. 
Oh yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll grab a coffee or something here, uh, not too long down the road. I'm looking forward to it. Well, Adam, if one, people want to connect with you, where's the easiest place to find you? Oh, right on. Okay, so uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, connect with me. I'm I'm pretty pretty active on LinkedIn, um, and also you can. Uh, look for uh, the post military professional, which is my my uh, website. It's at postmilitarypro.com, um, and there's blog articles, videos. Um, soon to be opening a, a coaching section there, and uh, more more public speaking sort of stuff. So we're, we're it's a work in progress, but it's it's getting there. And you can find the post military professional on Facebook too. And we'll include all of those links in our show notes. So if anybody wants to quickly find them, they, they'll be down there in the show notes. Right on. Thanks, man. Thank you, Adam. All right. Hey, take care. Bye. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.